Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This week on Commons People, when is a coup not a coup? Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined as always by Paul Wall. Hi, Hi Paul. Hi Ned. And again, Anand Menon from the UK and a Changing Europe think tank. Hi Anand. Hi, yeah. uh, it's 2pm on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Dominic Riles resigned, Esme McVeigh has resigned, Theresa May is on the brink of a leadership challenge. Jacob Rees-Mogg has just submitted a letter calling for her to go. Um, here he is a few minutes ago speaking outside Parliament, insisting it's not a coup as he launched a coup. I think a coup is when you use illegitimate procedures to try and overturn somebody who is in office. This is working through the procedures of the Conservative Party. It is therefore entirely constitutional. And there I say to Newsnight, coup is the wrong word. So, Anand, last week we spoke. We said by this time we might have a deal. We do. Um, is it what you largely expected? Uh, well, we don't strictly because the European well, Council's got to sign this off. A, a draft deal, um, yeah. let's say then. Uh, but but yeah, I think anyone who looked at the government's red lines and the EU's negotiating mandate and was asked to predict whereabouts we'd land would have been quite close to this. I mean, there were a few interesting wobbles towards the end. I think it's really interesting what's been done with fish. Sorry to do it again. We'll come back to Simply fish as well. Yeah. I, I find myself wondering whether Number 10 didn't get on the phone to Brussels and say, look... If you insist on putting fish in this, Michael Gove will walk and then this deal is dead. Right. But it does strike me that there was a lot of rumours about this and then nothing much happened over it. And I would like to know why. That's interesting. So, I mean, obviously we've got a lot of Tory MPs around happy. And it seems strange to me that do they not expect it to be this? I mean, well, what were well, they? The what curious they? thing is, I think, I'm glad you started with by asking Anand about the withdrawal agreement and the detail of this, mm. because I suspect very few MPs have actually read the damn thing. <laughs> now, we actually had the, the job to read it last night, and so did Anand. I can't imagine you've read every one of the 587 pages. Twice. Ah, that is impressive. Oh, okay, show off. That's a lie. We believed you. Have you read it once? I thought it reflected badly on me that you believe me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the thing is, when you was at university, you used to be quite hard work, believe it or not. (laughs) Very much. Um, But have you read the key bits? I mean, we read the key bits, the protocols about Northern Mm. Ireland. Um, Ned and I went through all that in great detail. Um, What did you make of that? Given that Ireland and customs and trade and regulation are the guts of what the Brexiteers are unhappy about and the DUP is unhappy about. Can you see, do, are their concerns legitimate or are they completely overblown and they haven't, does, does their concern suggest that they haven't read the damn thing at all? Well, I suppose it depends what, what worries you in life. Uh, if sovereignty is all you care about, okay, and economic pain is something you're willing to take, then the level playing field is unacceptable. Right. Uh, I think some of their concerns are overblown. I think this notion that we're concerned that Northern Ireland will be a different sort of system to the rest of the country, I see where they're coming from, but I don't think it's pointed out often enough that it already is. Yeah. You know, mm. There are different yeah. regulatory systems in place in Northern Ireland already. Yeah. Uh, it's not the same as the rest of the United Kingdom. And actually, one of the things I think about this whole thing is if we'd bothered to 
explain devolution to the British people a bit better as we were doing this than a lot of the problems we're facing now with people not understanding it could have been avoided. Right. So you think that maybe the Irish bit is slightly overblown and there's obviously reasons for that. Uh, people have got entrenched positions. What about the wider Brexiteer fear that we're going to be locked in indefinitely into some sort of customs arrangement, customs territory? Is that a legitimate fear? Yeah, it absolutely is a legitimate fear. But this brings me to my big bugbear about all this, which is trade-offs. No one talks about trade-offs. And this has been the single biggest failing for me of the government's approach, is they have insisted all the way along that they could get everything they want and not give Mm. anything in return. You can't have the autonomy you want and frictionless trade. You cannot do it. So you make a choice. And if the Prime Minister had stood up and said, look, I mean, she hinted, I think there was half a sentence in Florence where she said things might not be the same afterwards. But actually, that's where she should have been all along, saying, look, there are a host of conflicting demands. I've got businesses coming in every day saying, you cannot wreck my business model by imposing customs and other checks Mm. at the border. And I've got Brexiteers quite rightly saying to me, we had a referendum, we voted to do A, B and C. You have to try and trade these things off. And the lack of honesty about that, I think, has meant that even now, when she's trying to sell this deal, she can't say, look, there are difficult choices and Mm. here they are. But maybe now's the time to be finally honest and, and, and not admit, yeah, you, you've you've been dishonest in the past, but now to be really honest and say, yeah, as she seems to be saying, look, there are big compromises. I've had to make compromises. That's what this is all about. Do you think finally the honesty might be her saviour? I mean, given that she's the author of her own misfortune in many ways. Well, it's I mean, at the moment, when you say saviour, it's very, very hard to see a majority in Parliament yeah. to pass this deal, though I would like to talk about the TARP stuff in a bit, because I think that's fascinating. Uh, so it might not be her saviour as such. But yeah, I think if she starts to explain this now, uh, it mm. might help her. I thought it was interesting that, you know, the can was kicked down the road so many times. And in her statement last night, uh, she actually said, if you strip away the detail, then it'll be fine. Well, the problem is, of course, now's the point when there is the detail. Yeah. So I don't know what she expected. Of course, even if MPs haven't read the full document at the time they start kicking off last night, or even now, at some point they're going to, so what do you think is going to happen? I know. It's strange. I mean, the thing is as well, in many ways, you look at Theresa May, you look at what she was like in the chamber today, you look at like what she was like on the steps of number 10 last night, and you can't, part of you, if you're only human, part of you can't help feeling sorry for her. You think, wow, you're trying to, you're trying to make, square this impossible circle you've got very few allies who are helping you do it you often seem to be the only grown-up in the room and so there's a sort of sense of sympathy but then you think actually as i said earlier you're the author of your own misfortune you're the person who triggered article 50 really early without having a bloody clue about what this was all about you're the person who called a general election which threw away a majority and handed to the dup a total veto of anything to do with Northern Ireland. And you're the person, as Alan said, who's been ramping up the rhetoric early on only to change it when circumstances change. So I don't know. No, I have to say one thing to that, which is, I mean, last night when she came out of the door of 10 Downing Street, she looked dreadful. And I thought, God, she's going to resign. She just looked exhausted. I mean, all right, a five hour meeting would make anyone look a bit sort yeah. of <laughs> suboptimal. But she, she just looked drawn Mm. but actually today in the house of commons i thought she did really well it was a different prime minister to the one we saw last night and that was that was quite interesting i don't know if you read anything into it or not but i thought her performance today in the house i mean leave aside the substance of the case but she argued fluently Mm. and seemed to have a grasp of the detail and it was the best i've seen her do on this Mm. well that brings us on doesn't it to maybe about may herself you know this let's be honest we can talk about brexit but ultimately it's going to come down to will she stay or will she go and I personally, I don't know about you two, but I think 
that that performance today, and I personally think a bit of that performance in the street, showed a sort of steel and mm. a sort of doggedness yeah. that actually is the only thing that's going to get her through. I, I, I think I agree that I'd be surprised if she quit. You know, yeah. she yeah. seems like, why would you quit now? You just <coughs> you think, well, I'm going to keep going, but will she survive? That's not the same that's question, is it? That's a different question, yeah. And I do think she's, I do think she's got a bloody-mindedness in a strange way that she shares with Jeremy Corbyn, which is, you know, I think this is right. There is no, she's mentally worked out there is no other alternative to this. And it's that sense of duty, the vicar's daughter stuff, together with the sort of actually how much she really loathes people like Rhys Mogg, mm. like Johnson, even Michael Gove. These men who throughout her political career have sort of belittled her. And there's a bit of yeah. that as well, the sexism, oh, the woman can't cope with all this. That actually, I think in a strange way, it will be, her reaction will be to dig in rather than to give in. I don't know. Mm. No, no, I think absolutely. But as Ned said, I don't think the issue is whether she decides to stay or go. The question is whether she's pushed mm. or circumstances force her into an impossible situation. Yeah. Uh, and that's either via this confidence vote, uh, though I still don't see a candidate getting 158 mm. or 159. Because if, if, you know, if she can't get support, I mean, who else does? Yeah. I well, mean, you can list a rattle off the names, but do but they... But it's the nature of the process, mm. isn't it? Which is you don't even need a candidate yet. Yeah. All you have to do, all they're considering is confidence in her. Yeah. So does she get a majority? And I, I talked to Alistair Burt just now, just before Jacob Rees-Mogg make his grand announcement. And Alistair Burt, very loyal minister, former Remainer. A lot of, you know, Eurosceptics think he's totally tainted because he's an arch-Remainer. Mm. But he's a minister, well-liked across all sides the house and he said to me just before this event he said um well actually i'm absolutely confident she will win the confidence vote he said absolutely because and, and i said why and he said essentially because he felt that the the majority of the party could outweigh that brexiteer rump mm, effectively yeah. now it's a large rump but let's not forget john major and this is true. John Major had a third of his party vote against him when he was prime minister. Mm. The last similar yeah. parallel to this. A third. Now, that's a lot. And he stayed in power. And it's perfectly possible she could. They, there could be a third against her and she could dig in. Does, if it happens and there's a vote and she wins, does that change the parliamentary maths on the vote on the deal? Does that change some MPs' perspectives on how to vote? That's tricky, or? doesn't it? I mean, Who I knows? can't see. How does she get the deal? But some people, we were talking maybe last week, weren't we, that she might lose the deal on the first vote. Mm. And then they, they, they're all the viewers skeptics saying, look, we want to defeat her and then get a better deal. And then she'll come back and give us something else. I can't see even on what she can come back with that is going to satisfy them. No, but this is the TARP thing. Uh, TARP, no, come on, explain for, for the listeners. So TARP was, was the American bailout that Congress passed mm. in 2008. And it was George Osborne's... Uh, Chief of Staff, who I want to call George Harrison. Rupert Harrison. That's a different one. Yeah, Rupert Harrison, uh, who was tweeting about this yesterday. And what he was saying was TARP provides a nice sort of model of what might happen, which is to say the president took TARP to Congress, Congress voted it down. And then what Harrison said on Twitter was the markets then mm. puked. Right. Right. So the markets went into free fall and basically the president left Congress to steward this for a while, came back to them and said, would you like to reconsider, lads? And... There is a possibility mm. that something similar might happen here. Because I, if you imagine this deal being voted down, okay, yep. the pound will fall. Yep. You'll get business leaders saying, all we want is certainty. Okay, This is a mess. We don't know what to expect now. We can deal with any outcome. Just give us one. Uh, I imagine MPs will start getting phone calls from business owners saying, what are you playing at? But isn't the problem with that theory, Anand? that Eurosceptics are a very, very different species from American politicians. Euro British Eurosceptics are 
almost Tea Party-like. You know, Tea Party learnt a lot of their tricks from our guys. Mm -hmm. They are deeply ideologically committed to this. For them, it's a matter of statehood, a matter of nationhood, sovereignty, Mm. all the things that the economy and the pound doesn't really impinge on. I absolutely agree, and I don't think it's going to be a couple of phone calls that changes Bill Cash's mind. Absolutely. (laughs) All right. Uh, Could I change Labour MPs' minds, though? This applies to Labour MPs. Absolutely. Mm. This, This applies to Labour MPs, too. You know, they'll be under the same sort of pressure, which is you voted this down to save Nissan or manufacturing. And actually now you're in a situation where manufacturing is saying this is untenable. I'm not saying it will definitely work. I'm saying that the government can bring it back Mm. and it'll be interesting to see if the dynamics change. And I suppose one advantage of having if a deal is signed in November and you have a vote in December, there's still more time for a second vote in, in the Commons. Yeah. Whereas if it, got, if it drags on into the new year, well, yeah, then, you, then you run out of time. And which brings us on to the point you made last week. Uh, actually, your your point about second bites of the cherry in terms of the legislation. Yeah. We did indeed find some, <laughs> some members of the European Research Group who loved that idea and said, yeah, we will conduct... Well, did you put it in their heads? <laughs> and, and, and we quoted Anand in the story. Um, very influential, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in terms of timing, what surely one of the other things and uh, that I thought was really interesting about the actual text yesterday was this idea that we could, the easy way out of this problem for Theresa May is something she's revived, is extending the transition period for Brexit. In other words, we could, the, the easy way, how do you avoid all these problems in Northern Ireland? How do you avoid all this other stuff? You just keep kicking, kicking, kicking the can down the road again. So you give yourself and business a bit more certainty, a bit yourself a bit more room to breathe, to negotiate a, a proper deal you give yourself time mm. to work things out by extending the transition and i'm convinced that actually that's her priority right now well, i don't, if, if I don't I... think it's the backstop of northern lion um, which we've talked about at great length i think it is extending the transition makes things easier for her for business and for her party which Isn't a lot of Brexiteers have said they'd be open to, although only perhaps for a few months rather than the 99 years, whatever it was, the uh, well, yeah. document says. What happens in 2099 is what <laughs> I want to know. Yeah. Uh, I think there are rumours coming out of Dexu now that that bit is going to be filled in and that they're going to the government. The government has said, and there's always been this weird double game gone on over transition. Firstly, we don't. We, at least they're calling it transition now, which is a nice change. Yeah. But secondly, the government has always insisted that the EU could ask us for an extension of transition if they wanted it. They were desperate not to look like we wanted it. So there's always been this game of bluff around it. Now I'm hearing rumours that the government is going to insist that there is a maximum extension yeah. period. That's what they told us last night. Uh, that strikes me as mad. Because you, I mean, if only because, not because I particularly think we should stay in transition for 50 years, but because we don't know how long the negotiations will take. So why set a deadline hmm. that will make things harder? And if- you, can, you can only ask for one extension as yeah. well. That's right, isn't it? So- yeah. yeah. Well, that's why, why it's got XX in, because yeah. they knew that if they put a date in, uh, yeah. it would either look ridiculously <laughs> far into the future or maybe just limit their flexibility. I yeah. don't know. I don't know whether that's going to be pulled out of the text. But anyway, um, I just think the idea of extension is really... Mm. That's the way they're going to have to go. Extending it is is the easy way out for her. No, I tend to agree. I think that that is where this is headed at the moment. Because unless there is some miraculous breakthrough when it comes to border technology and we're back to facilitated customs again, God help us, uh, they're not going to be able to solve the Irish question, short of just keeping this going. Is that maybe the the what the the only thing is a majority for in Parliament, which is strip down a lot of this and talk about an extension and, and basically park a lot of it? Or is it the, the withdrawal agreement just so deeply flawed for a lot of MPs that actually they couldn't vote for that? Well, a lot of Brexity MPs 
don't like the substance of what there is now. Yeah, so yeah. extending it isn't going to appeal to them. <laughs> yeah. But of course, for so many MPs now, this isn't about this. You, know, you started off by saying very few MPs have read it. Well, that's because this isn't about the document. Yeah. Mm, this yeah. is about something wholly different. It's about either reversing the referendum or having a general election or who cares if we don't get a deal. Yeah. yeah, which is the ultimate fake news, isn't it? If you're making massive political decisions without actually reading the stuff you're supposed to be voting on, oh, isn't that the, <laughs> the fakest of fake news at all? I mean, well, it's I bizarre. think I think the, I think every journalist, if they ask a politician a question about this deal, has to follow it up with, "So, what is the deal you would support, and there is a majority for?" Yeah. And I think MPs are getting away with murder. I mean, you know, you see a succession of MPs on the tel- telly and the radio saying, "I do not support this sort of Brexit." And the follow-up has to be, so what do you support and how the hell do you think that would get through the House of Commons? Yeah. I like, well, the fact a lot of the kind of second referendum MPs, their argument there is they say that and they say, well, because there's no majority in the Commons, we have to ask the people. But of course, they don't have the answer to, so what's the referendum question then? They still have that problem as well of what, they all have different ideas. Anna Subri thinks one thing, Justin Grinney thinks it's three questions. So no one seems to know how to break the deadlock. It's very, very difficult. I, I just simply can't see the way out of it. I mean, I can see a majority in the Commons for... A customs union. I can see that. But I don't know how you draft that in some form of legislation <laughs> or treaty. You're going to have to draft your own alternative treaty. Except it's like, it's like it's like Commons Amendments, isn't it? It's not just what they say. It's also who's proposing it. Yeah. Hmm. And so I can't see a majority in the Commons for a customs union proposed by this government because Labour will find an excuse to vote against it because that's what they want to do and the Brexiters will vote against it so it won't get a majority. Uh, That's the problem isn't it is that you have the overlay of party politics over the Brexit division which makes it far harder to cobble You know what I mean it's surely the conclusion of what we've all just been talking about is something that I've always thought would never happen might happen which is a general election. Mm. Um, That is the only way out of this isn't it? I think, I mean, obviously the process is hard to see yeah. because of the rules. But yeah, I think, I still think a general election is more likely than a referendum. Yeah. Uh, and in, in case that actually nothing can be done. I mean, for a, for a referendum, it just strikes me that Parliament would be saying, okay, we're incapable of solving this. You solve it for us. Mm. And that's just a bad look. Well, uh, I think we're out of time. So let's see if a general election has been called in the last 20 minutes while we're recording <laughs> it, this. It might well have. <laughs> and we will uh, see you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.